Welcome to Dragon Talk. Hey! This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito, and that was Shelly saying, hey! 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 How's it going? Rocking and rolling. Me too. I'm Some like rejuvenated and reinvigorated from this amazing last week and, and weekend exploring the wilderness, kind of the Feywild, maybe. Yeah. With you we, and your family. That's true. Me and Shelly got to explore the Pacific Northwest Feywild, which is uh, uh, the Olympic Peninsula. Yeah. It was really delightful. We made well, out with seals. Some of us did. We contracted bacterial diseases. So, again, some of us did. <laughs> Not all of us. <laughs> some came home with a really bad cold out of nowhere. Yeah. So... I don't know. And some of us just came back with a lot of photos and maybe like six or seven extra pounds, mostly from cheese. Cheese and wine. Oh, cheese and wine. It was so fun, though. We got to play lots of games together. I loved all of our games. We didn't play any D&D, but we did play D&D adjacent uh, type of things, role playing uh, and uh, tons of fun games. It was. It was really good. And um, yeah. Now I just feel even more excited to be here on Dragon Talk. Yeah, and we have a wonderful guest. We're talking to Laura Gray, who is a writer and reviewer at Screen Rant and a wonderful D&D enthusiast. Tons of great insight into how to run your game as well as include uh, LGBTQ uh, characters and representation across the board. Great, great stuff. So can't wait to uh, show that to you. As well, we have a wonderful beat segment coming at you. Yeah? Meet your monsters with Dan Dillon. Oh, I can't wait. I actually don't even know what monster we're about to meet. We are going to meet the Nothic. Oh, I know nothing. Right, exactly, right? I, I, I think I've fought one in my lifetime. I can say I don't think I've fought any. But we are going to jump into it uh, before we get to our interview segment. So let's let's go talk to Dan and meet him. Let's do it. He's not the monster. But <laughs> Welcome to another segment of Meet Your Monsters. Yay! I feel like we need like game show music. And then have all the monsters kind of come out. Oh, yes. Dan, can you compose that as well as do a little dance? No. No, goodness, no. That (laughs) is not what I do. No, you don't don't want me touching anything musical. Mm -mm. Uh, But I just, you know, the little little Muppet Show homage, all the little dancing dancing monsters. (laughs) I was thinking of like, um, what's the one with the, the... the three candidates are behind the screen, and then the one person is like asking them questions. And it's a very famous Chuck Woolery love, con- not love connects, blind, the dating really? game. No. Yeah, the, the dating, dating game. game. Yeah, that's yeah, what I was picturing. Like the that's monsters. what we should we should change this into a dating game monsters Date. thing with the three <laughs> monsters. That is a very like, different segment. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know, Dan. Would you have chosen a different monster if it was? Oh no, of, we'd be yeah, we'd still be going. Like you said, they're cute. Ah, <laughs> we are talking about, of course, Nothic. Nothic. The Nothic, mm. and they are adorable. Lovely. 
lovely. They have beautiful eyes. Beautiful, beautiful eye, eye, at least. Yeah. <laughs> One um, big old eye. Well, is, and the picture I'm looking at, it's a big green eye. Is this? Mm-hmm. Do they always yep. have big green eyes, or can they have different uh, that, eyes? That I'm sure is uh, that that's mutable to fit whatever you need. You know, or oh, really, uh, their eye color might match who they were before they became a Nothic. Whoa, be whoa! You're already blowing my mind here. I, yeah. What do you mean? They don't just start off as a Nothic? Oh no, no! They start what? off as as regular peoples like you and I, uh, yeah, and they're people who are obsessed with secrets, usually specifically arcane secrets. So they were wizards who were delving into things they ought not, and they ran into some traps that were laid by this uh, oh this ancient fellow by the name of Vecna, mm-hmm. uh, who has a thing mm-hmm. for secrets and magic, and mm-hmm. so they got into secrets they shouldn't have, and it sort of gets into their brain and their soul, and they need more and more and more and become obsessive about it. And as they do, it corrupts them and twists them, and they degenerate into these aberrant creatures with one eye that are uh, kind of forget who they were, <gasps> but know that there was something to them before this and are obsessed with finding a way to get it back, but oh. gathering every secret they can possibly get. They think that's how they will return to whatever it was mm. they were they, they They believe there is a way to return to who they were, but they can't find it, and they're compelled to seek it out. Are Nothics use- undead? No, they're aberrations. Mm. Yeah, so they're, they're still living uh, creatures. They're someone who was twisted and changed by this, uh, by this, this trap curse laid down by, by Vecna. Why do, you, why do you love playing with these monsters? As a DM. Fun. Well, I mean, first of all, they're adorable. Uh, <laughs> second, you can they do are. creepy voices and, and freak your kids out like I did when I ran Lost Mine of Fandelver for my kiddos. That was that was delightful. Um, well, and they're just, uh, they have a lot of cool, creepy abilities. Like they have this ability called Weird Insight where they can look at you and pluck your secrets and learn them. And so they, they don't even have to um, reveal themselves. They could be hiding in the shadows or uh, through a window or looking through a crack in the wall and just start plucking out your deepest, darkest secrets. And maybe they'll just go hoard those and, and right. you know, add those to their sort of psychic treasure pile. Or maybe they'll sell them to someone who brings them a bigger, better secret or a magic item that they covet and they'll give your secrets away to the right bidder. So, I mean, that's that's a fun plot hook right there, right? Someone's, yeah. uh, some nobleman's uh, or some wizard's secrets are ending up out in the wild, causing all sorts of trouble, and they can't figure out how this is happening. Uh, maybe there's a Nothic lurking in the in the rafters and peeking through the plaster, and yeah. So, would, it, would you have? Sorry, Greg, I'm sort of you. I'm obsessed with this now. But, um, would you know that somebody had been tinkering in your mind and stolen your s- secrets? No, no, there is no indication that they have done that. So, yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, uh, it could could be a mystery to try and solve. And uh, you could have a lot of fun laying uh, all kinds of red herrings of who is stealing these secrets. Would a, uh, Mm. like a a big bad or evil character in your, villain character in your campaign, would they employ Nothics for something like this? Is it something that you want to be like, oh, I want to get them out into my my, uh, opponent's? Oh, you certainly could. Uh, that'd be that'd be kind of cool if a villain had like a spy network of these creatures that were lurking around in various places of the city, and they just like peek up through sewer grates and and you know you get you get a bunch of junk secrets, right? But every now and then, if you have enough of them out there, looking at enough people in the right places, they'll strike gold, and then the villain you know 
has this big network of all this stuff coming in and, and uh, trading like magical trinkets to these Nothics for uh, for the secrets they gather. Not unlike how I run and my- maybe dangling. Uh, well, I I know the secret or where to find it that will return you to who you once were. And if you find me the right pieces, well, then we can you know you can string them along like that. And maybe a little dangerous if the if the heroes were to say find out that's how you're manipulating the Nothics and reveal the truth to them. Uh, they they might be willing to turn on you, <laughs> but uh, but it's a it's a powerful lever as long as you know, as long as you use it right. Is there ever any chance that they would be returned back to their original self, or is that just a ploy? So that, that's going to be something that's really up to whatever story you want to tell with them. Yeah. Um, I think the the kind of the line in the book is this is just part of their curse that makes them think they can get back to who they were, but there's really no hope. But I mean, you know, that could be tragic and you could go that route. Or, I mean, that's a pretty cool plot arc is some some NPC that the characters know has fallen prey to their their greed for knowledge and become a Nothic and they have to try and get them back. And maybe there is actually a way. Maybe there's a grain of truth hidden in that compulsion that uh, that torments them. And so you have to you have to figure out the biggest secret of all that Vecna's lying that there's no way, and there actually is a way to turn them back, and you can find. Could that. be a nice like fairy tale ending to that arc. Yeah, like yeah. Oh, all of a sudden the curse is lifted, beast. Exactly, and maybe even if not lifting the curse entirely, that could be a way to have. Say you wanted to have a Nothic be less of a villain, more of a dubious ally. You could uh, have one who's not necessarily quite so selfish or evil, uh, but maybe remembers a little bit more echoey of who they once were. And you find something that helps kind of solidify that memory and that might befriend them, right? So maybe there'll be there'll be someone who's more willing to deal fairly with you because you've helped them. You mentioned the, uh, the, the creepy voice. What, wh- <laughs> how, how would you portray them uh, or how can you tell our <laughs> listeners? I'm not going to put you on the spot and make you do the voice, but like, how, how, how do you role play them uh, in effectively? Sure. So the way I used it, um, you know, I described them as moving very creepily and they're, they're aberrations, right? So they're completely unnatural. Uh, so I have them move almost like, uh, imagine they're a stop animated, uh, stop motion animated monster from a movie, but their frame rate is wrong. So they move what seems like a little too fast for everything around it. Uh, if you've seen season two of The Witcher, there's a, there's a beautiful portrayal of how I would describe it in one of those episodes with uh, this this girl in a white gown who crawls down a wall, and the way she moves is uh, it's out of time with the rest of the the rest of the film. So that's that's kind of a cool otherworldly nastiness to add to them. Then when I did the voice for them, I would alternate exhaling and inhaling as I spoke. So sometimes it would talk like this. Oh God, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, oh yeah. no. Yeah, and it was just creepy yeah. and obsessed with their secrets and demanding that they, you know, tell them things that no one else was meant to know. And yeah, a lot of fun. How how big are they? Uh, they're medium. They're human size, so they might. They're kind of like twisted, and they have sort of a like a broader back with you know scales and spikes and stuff and big claws. But uh, they're human sized, if not terribly human looking. <laughs> and they would have no memory, like if they came across family like they would not have any nothing would register that in general no um uh, i would have more fun with it uh, playing with it a little bit though i would uh, kind of have them maybe have like uh 
like a half-remembered dream sort of connection, like a sense of deja vu or familiarity, and that might confuse them or intrigue them. But no, they don't remember who they were. They just know that they used to be something else, and that's lost to them, and they want it back. Do they remember Vecna? Do they remember, like... Not even, like, not even this is... Yeah, they may, they may have no idea what happened to them. Wow. Yeah. So they, they can be pretty tragic figures, actually. Um, and mm-hmm. But, you know, then they turned their big eye at you and brought your flesh from your bones. So it's... <laughs> it can get pretty yeah, rough. Yeah, so how does, how does that work? How does that rotting flesh attack... Uh, so that, yeah, that's... Um, that, I feel like, to me, that speaks to this idea of their corruption that all of this stuff that they're taking in, both it's, you know, uh, it's sort of externally expressed through the way they've been twisted, but then they can also project that onto their other people. That's the the secrets and the jealousy that they hoard. They can sort of project that on people and make them wither and, yeah. Okay. Mm. They're becoming a little <laughs> bit less cute, but... Um, <laughs> Just slightly. I don't, I'm sort of intrigued by the, the arc, by the story that, you know, we're saying you could, you know, potentially like redeem them. Could you as a dungeon master play with a party of Nothics? Like everybody starts off as one and you have to try in this world, like you can redeem yourself, but they don't know how to do that yet. That would be super cool. Uh, You know, start off your campaign where everybody's playing one of these aberrations and, you know, you can maybe tweak it a little bit so everyone's a little different and maybe those are breadcrumbs hinting at who they used to be. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. And then you would never, you as the player, you're like, I know I wasn't this, but I don't know what I was. And then you would like slowly reveal who. Yeah, and that's the thing that people talk about all the time is doing sort of the amnesia campaign where you don't know who or what you are playing and that sort of is revealed over time. This would be a really cool twist on that where you're sort of reclaiming who you used to be. Yeah. And and you as the player are discovering it along with your character. So that's Exactly. Like that would be really fun for me to just like slowly see parts of this character like come into view. Like I had no idea. That would be an awesome first arc of a campaign. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) There's such a great lesson there too of like how playing this game is this rediscovery of who you are Mm-hmm. You know, we've heard so many people, you know, say that that is what it is for for, for many folks. And so, actually, yeah. having the physical embodiment of that in this Nothic, what a, what a cool, interesting idea! But yeah, they're also so just very yeah. creepy adversaries because of yeah. this closeness yeah. to us, right? So, yeah, yeah. And you can go just simple creepy adversary with them, right? And there's uh, these are fun because there's a lot of different ways you can use them on different levels depending on how deep you want to engage with it. So, yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. super, super interesting. They, they're personal. not like wearing clothes of themselves, right? Like that, that, that could be an interesting thing too if they they have evidence of who they were on them, but they're just not even aware of that. Oh, that's entirely possible. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah sure. Like you could have, you know, maybe there's tattered robes and there's little bits of a sigil that you know hinted who this person was. That would, oh, yeah. that would be pretty cool, and that could be like a hook for your players to kind of dig in and uncover the mystery, the the history of the background of who this creature is and was. That'd be a lot of fun. had like a tattoo or a mark or something mm-hmm. that didn't mm-hmm. transform. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I hey, like can, that idea a lot. Can Nothics steal each other's secrets? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, they don't have any particular immunity to it. Uh, mm-hmm. ooh, let me let me double check that because this ability does not work on creatures that can't be charmed, uh, oh. but they don't have immunity to charm. So yeah, they can absolutely steal each other's secrets, which they probably know and means they're probably very uncomfortable around one another. 
Oh yeah, so you they would they probably wouldn't be hanging out in a cluster or whatever. Usually, or if they were, there would be some sort of overarching thing that kind of pulls them together. Like Mm -hmm. in uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, uh, one of the levels I worked on for that, it actually has Nothics in it, a group of them, and they're all sort of created from members of the same family, and so (gasps) they are still kind of sort of beholden to answer to the the heads of that family, even though they're twisted weirdos now. They barely remember it, yeah. Is your headcanon then that the eye that you see in the illustration of Nothics is the actual physical eye of one of those creatures that's become enlarged and taken over the uh, face? I think that's so. That cool. that's kind of like that's the first idea that jumped out at me when Shelley asked, "Oh, are they always green?" I'm like, maybe oh. if I turned into a Nothic, I would have a big, beautiful brown eye, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also something to be said for green being sort of the symbol of envy. And these mm. things are very covetous creatures. So the green eye, I think, evokes that as well. So I could I could see, you know, turning them into some different shade of green. But but I like the idea of having vestiges of who the person once yeah. was that you could find if you knew to look or yeah. if you saw enough things that would connect. Like the, like the tattoo. I love the idea of a Nuffic with, you know, a tattoo that you could maybe discern if you're, you're sharp-eyed enough. That's super cool. Memento yes. style. What if the month? Mm. <laughs> Sharpie itself. all over. Yeah. Don't trust Another Teddy thing about Black. these guys is they're they're hard to fool with illusions because they have true sight. So with all of their secret gathering, like they're they're instantly not fooled by transformations or illusions. They can see right through all of that, all of that business. So they're not dummies. No, no, not at all. No, they're quite smart, right? They're very no, they're quite sharp. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you were talking just like raw numbers, their intelligence 13. So above average. You you think cunning, yeah. yeah, and they and they can speak right, so they're all about they, they can they communicate. yes, yeah. They speak under common, so you need to be a little bit of a linguist, or you maybe need to run into uh, uh, an atypical Nothic that maybe has learned or retained some of its languages. That'd be more fun. What what is under common? Under common is sort of the trade language of the uh, of subterranean dwelling creatures. Oh, okay. Hence the um, the under part. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, where would I be most likely to run into these creatures? Or are they just everywhere? Well, Undercommon, the fact that Undercommon is their language suggests that they tend to gravitate downward. And, yeah. you know, this, so they sort of slink and creep and find them in tunnels and crypts and that sort of thing. But honestly, they'll go where the secrets are. Uh, so I, I'd be comfortable putting, putting them just about anywhere. Like I said, maybe they're hiding in the plaster and the, the spaces in the walls of a wizard's tower. But there would be where, where peoples are, right? Because you know, there's they not need a lot secrets, of secrets right? out yeah. on the farm. So there's got to be <laughs> peoples. There's got to be, even if it could be, if you find them in a dungeon, it could be some ancient trove of knowledge that they have you know, broken into and hoarded, uh, that sort of thing. What? Yeah. There's, there's got to be something there for, to scratch that itch because that itch never goes away. They, they need secrets. Would it be... Uh, common to f- perhaps find them at Strixhaven University? That would be fantastic. Having some uh, Nothics who are lurking underneath the uh, the biblioplex. Or, uh, so many <laughs> secrets. Scuttling off in the swamp or in the uh, in the ruins of Lorehold's campus. Yeah. You could, I mean, you could cause a lot of trouble if you were like spilling college students or university students' secrets. I just think over. about how much drama and undercurrent there is in a university. Oh, yes. <laughs> Raise a little hell with the Nothics. Yep. Too many secrets. Too many secrets. I love it. See, tech I think, astronomy. <laughs> I think Sneakers was basically telling us that, uh, that there's Nothics 
in the information. The I checked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much, Dan. I know so much more about these. You mentioned Fandelver, so a, a lot of our listeners may have encountered Anothic in yeah. uh, playing the starter set adventure, Lost Minds of Fandelver. I think that's where I encountered one. Uh, but it's always great to kind of you know take that monster that people may have familiarity with and put new spins on it, like we've been talking yeah. about. So that's super yeah, cool. Absolutely. And these are these are fun because you can take them in so many cool different directions. Like we just you know chatted for a little bit here, and we have what five different campaign arcs ready to happen. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're very yeah. inspiring. Yes. Yeah. Oh, great. Well, thanks, Dan, for for coming on. Where can people possibly find out if you are a Nothic uh, online? Yes. Uh, best place to find out if I'm a Nothic is probably on Twitter. I'm at Dan underscore Dylan underscore one. Excellent. Well, thanks, well I, Dan. I, I hope so you're great. not. And because thanks for having me. I, you know, I still I have two eyes, of, so I think I'm good. I'm full <laughs> of... It could be an illusion. I don't know. I, it could be. And if you were a Nothic, you'd be able to tell. I can't tell, so clearly I'm not. But I am so full of secrets, and if I see anything out there, I'm going to know where it came from. That's good. Well, thanks for having me on. I love, I love chatting about monsters. <laughs> Anytime. Thank you. Wow, those guys are not cute, as it turns out. Not as cute as I initially thought. They do have the word not in their name. So, oh, yeah. Not. They should be called not cutes. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of being not hicks. <laughs> They're not that either. They don't live uh, on the farm. That is true. But fun. Lots of fun things you can do with them. I know, right? And that way yeah. of <laughs> inhaling oh, while breathing. I, I never want to hear that voice ever again. Ever. Do you remember... I used to be able to do that like on on demand, and I have to like practice it again. Oh, I, used to I, be... I would pass out from trying to do that. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> That's the danger of DMs. When you do funny voices, you're gonna pass out. And also, you you're invested now. Like you've got to keep doing that. Exactly. Um, that voice. Do you? Yeah, right. Remember? You can't just do it once. Was it the ring? Like that creepy, creepy girl? Yes. And okay, and the way the she hair. walked, but she walked with like her arms backwards. Yeah. Was that in that movie? That's what I was picturing when he was talking about how they move. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's in very much a horror thing, right? Where it's like you're, you're, you expect motion to be one way, but it actually comes in another way, and that's a great way to describe it for, There's, uh, for your DM. Dungeon masters can do so many things. They really can. They spin yeah. yarns. And speaking of all of that wonderfulness that dungeon masters do, let's, uh, let's listen to our guest here, Laura Gray. Everyone, let's welcome Laura Gray to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yay! Welcome. Hello, everybody. How are you? We're so excited to talk to you. For for us, this is our second meeting together. Yeah. As you were uh, my guest on a How to Be a DM segment back, we just realized in the summer, last summer, which seems just impossible that it's been that long. How has it been that long? (laughs) I have no idea. But we talked about party bonding. Yes, one of the most important ways to bring your your D&D party together to conquer. Yes, and I found uh, you because of an article that you had written on the very same topic for Screen Rant, which is, which, screen, wow, tongue twister? Yeah, it can be. Screen (laughs) Rant, which is where you are a senior writer and reviewer. 
Yeah, so I still do all of that good writing. I, um, I've been covering a lot of different topics recently, but D&D will forever be my home base. It is where my heart lies. Oh, well, we're glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah. What, are you, uh, are, what are you playing now uh, in, in the video game realm? Well, I just uh, I just wrapped up Pokemon Legends Arceus. I'm pretty sure I have found and done everything there is to find and do. So nice. um, I'm moving on to start working on some other reviews, which are actually under embargo. So I can't say anything about them. But I they're going to be very, very We respect fun. that. We respect that. I was assuming you were going to be doing Elden Ring, but if uh, if you're not you know, reviewing it, it's very hard to, to to waste that many hours on it. I'm going to be perfectly honest. It uh, Dark Souls style gameplay kicks my butt, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm waiting to see what kind of like walkthroughs and help come out before I start delving into it, so that I don't totally get creamed. <laughs> That is my uh, style as well. I, uh, I, I, I tend to wait like three or four years after a game comes out to be like, okay, now there's enough That's literature. Me. That was me with Skyrim. Yeah, I was like, a- yep, okay. It has been almost a decade. I can now partake <laughs> of Skyrim. <laughs> I guess it's sticking around. <laughs> so cool. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember those days of doing game reviews. That is, that is a, a hard life, right? Mm-hmm. It's there's a lot of crunch time. You've got to get stuff moving. You oftentimes are working under really really short time frames, so it can be you you get to the end of like a really big game release and then you sleep for like four days. <laughs> How do you do this and still love games? Like if you're actually playing them with with a critical eye and like thinking about the review, how does this still how is this still enjoyable? So um, I should give you like a little bit of background here. I am I've always been an, a gaming overachiever, and so how this panned out is it started when I was I kid you not six years old with a Game Boy. Mm-hmm. I would take notes while I was playing and then write essays about the games I played for my friends. No way. Yeah. And I was that kid with like the e-reader for the Pokemon cards. I'd slide the cards and write the data in my own handwritten Pokedex. So so it was meant to be. Yeah. So I've never found it stressful. Um, There are some times where it's more, um, it's more like difficult to pick what you want to cover for what other people want like what I'm looking at. And then I I try to look at it with the wider lens of, okay, this is what I like and would want to cover, but what would everybody else want to hear? And so sometimes, you know, you have to take a different angle or I'll write an entire review and then scrap the whole thing because I'll read back through it and be like, this is a thousand words of nothing. So, you know, not being overly critical of myself so that I don't end up rewriting it four times is really important because then I just, I'm so tired. (laughs) (laughs) Then it becomes tiring to yeah. rewrite yeah. over and over and over. Plus the short I, window that you get to play is always yeah. the hardest part for me when I was doing that. It was like, oh, you want me to play this 400-hour game in, in four hours? Mm. You want you want uh, 70, literally I just did one where it was like 70 hours of gameplay. We're going to give you the code with like 72 hours. I'm like, yeah, oh, okay, well, I'll do my best. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Don't need uh, to it, eat or sleep. Yeah, it went. I'm like, I came out the other end intact, I guess. <laughs> and here you are, yep. living to tell. I think when we chatted last time in the all the way back in the summer, I don't think we actually delved into your history with D&D and how you got started. 
Yeah. So I'm actually a pretty new player. I guess not so new anymore. Time. What is it? (laughs) Um, But I actually, I got started playing in 2017. So, um, but I had read D&D novels beforehand. I've always been a really diehard fantasy nerd. So that's kind of where my love of D&D crept from. Anne McCaffrey, Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, um, a lot of like those uh, 50s to 80s science fiction and uh, fantasy writers that have like, they're they're influenced by the D&D that was present or they were helping set up a lot of the things that would later be involved in the campaigns that we now see and play today. Um, But what actually happened was my darling wife was like, I want to play D and D. And I was like, okay. Cause I was like, so intimidated by D and D as a whole, which is why we've never really picked it up. You look at all of the uh, guidebooks and you look at all of the campaign notes and the different editions and 5e was very new at the time. And my best friend growing up played 3.5 and she was always telling me all the mechanics and the math and I would get so overwhelmed. But um, what actually ended up tipping me into it was the adventure zone by the McElroy brothers. I listened to the adventure zone. I heard them making mistakes, making it their own, building these characters, starting out as like goofs. And then at the end of it, you're sobbing in the final arc. And I was like, we got to do that. <laughs> like, yeah. I need a Griffin McElroy experience in my <laughs> life. And since I can't borrow a Griffin McElroy as much as I would love to have coffee with him, who wouldn't? <laughs> um, I was like, okay, we've got to do this. So, my wife, in the meantime, unbeknownst to me, had been building the Curse of Strahd campaign for us to play. And that was oh, nice. the very first campaign we ever played. Um, but while she was finishing preparing it, I did DM very briefly with no DM experience and homebrewed my entire campaign. What? Yeah, wow. it didn't go great. Uh, one of my players busted a hole through the planar system using polymorph as a bard. <laughs> uh, she transformed a god into a rat and then killed it and destroyed the foundations of the universe I had built. So then we started the Curse of Strahd. That was right. Oh. <laughs> that sounds oh. perfect. That sounds D&D. Yeah. And actually, yeah, that sounds actually pretty awesome. Yeah, so we, uh, we've been working on a lot of different campaigns. Um, I'm not going to lie. One of my favorite things to do now is to just read the the source books as they come out which if you had asked me that back in 2016 would you ever read a dnd source book i would have been like how do you read a dnd source book but now like they drop and i'm like all right well that's my weekend i'll see you guys later <laughs> to cover. yeah just wait until your son starts picking them up i know we've actually got a bunch of little adventurer versions for littler no. kids so it's like how to be a sorcerer. And we have like the D&D oh. ABCs book. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's just, oh, it's the best. <laughs> it is. It, I remember one day like, picking up my kid from daycare and there was a little, not not my kid, of course, but like another little boy was just sitting on the couch just reading the monster manual. And I'm like, oh, that's how it begins. That's, that's how, it, how it begins. Like you could just see like... Well, and he's oh, my son's already such a huge reader, so I'm very excited. I'm like, we're gonna get you started early. <laughs> oh yes, yes, he'll be DMing by the time he's five. Exactly, <laughs> he'll just run campaigns for us. So it'll work out great. The big struggle right now is to keep him from eating the dice. 
Yes. I always tell people, like, get your kids into D&D as soon as dice are no longer a choking hazard. <laughs> Just get giant stuffed dice. Yeah, Like a D20 the size of your face. Yeah. And even if that's like the only interaction that they have with the, like, while you and your friends are playing, if you're like, hey, it's time. Roll that dice. Like they get super Come excited about like just that opportunity to just be like, oh yeah, I'm going to roll the die and yeah. see what happens. And they think they're playing D&D and they are. So, Have you uh, seen on Twitter, there's uh, someone doing a uh, five-year-old DMing, uh, you know, quotes from a five-year-old DM. No, they are but bonkers I need this. And amazing. Yeah. Look it up. Uh, I, I don't have, have the handle. Uh, in my brain right now, but it makes me laugh each time I see it cross my feeds. Okay. That is Will. too cute. Yeah. Because they come yeah. up with, I mean, you know, when they're pretending and they're, you know, when they're able to communicate, the amount of imagination that uh, not having all of those tropes of decades and decades of fantasy on their shoulders, they just come up with the best, best stuff that feels so new and fresh to us, you know, jaded. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to adopt a puppy that looks like a squid, and instead of barking, it sounds like a foghorn. <laughs> there you go. That's and, your new and familiar. Then bees and come out of its mouth. It's a unicorn. Exactly. <laughs> and it's made out of candy, and I eat it. <laughs> so you want to be your friend. <laughs> yeah. It's true. They do have, like, those pure little hearts and those big imaginations. And if you'd say, like, just make up whatever you want. A kid will be like, okay. Like, and, <laughs> but an, an adult, yeah. for an adult, that can be kind of daunting. It, mm-hmm. That's the thing that we've noticed playing with adults who are new to D&D is like. You overthink what? it. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. I can do anything. And then I, now I can suddenly not think of one thing <laughs> that I want to do. <laughs> uh, dragon. <laughs> Default to dragon. Uh, yeah. Turn around and run. I think it was you, Greg, actually, that did the, like said, what do you want to do, A, B, or C? What, like when we were playing with, with Lauren. Yeah. Um, because then like that kind of just like narrows it down for them. And then they, but a kid will just be like, I no guardrails needed. They will just mm. take it and run. I love that. It's the love reverse that. of yeah. bowling. They don't, they don't need any protection. They're oh, ready to go. <laughs> I do love bowling with uh, my kid because the bumpers go up and then I'm like, we're just going to leave them up for my turn. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> no the gunner balls way. here. It's the only way I can break 100. And then it becomes <laughs> billiards, like you're trying to get the angle right off, oh, of, yeah. the, off of the bumper. <laughs> the bowling yeah. alley does not love they to don't see like, that. like the intentional banking off of the bumpers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say we haven't tried. That's a D&D player <laughs> trying to break the bend the rules there. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, you mentioned that you were playing uh, with your wife, and I, and Curse of Strahd is such a wonderful uh, module to, to kind of experiment in. But, you know, maybe yeah. you could talk a little bit about what it's like to bring, uh, you know, kind of the LGBTQ roles oh. to a story like that. I can do this. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I get so excited about this topic. So, um the, this this campaign is actually a fantastic example of one of the things I wanted to talk about today, which is how to add LGBTQ rep into stories and also how to kind of take your own twist on NPCs. Mm. So um, in Curse of Strahd, I am playing a garbage wizard. He is fantastic. I love him. Um, and I need to I need to note this. So my wife and I, we've been married since 2019. Um, and we started playing Curse of Strahd right before we got married, but we've been together for 10 years and we are co-writers. 
So whenever people join our D&D sessions, they're always like, we're a little intimidated because you guys are like a creative wildfire. And this is a primo <laughs> example of why. Okay. So Rudolph Van Richten, the character that is initially in Curse of Strahd, my wife was reading through. She's like, man pain, man pain, man pain, nah. And she like scrapped the whole thing, except for that um, he's a bard who has mysterious elements to him and that he uh, has the Van Richten name. Um, so she created this new character. His name is Robin Van Richten. He's a mm. lot younger. Um, he's a half elf. He um, is kind of just stuck in the whole place and he's got this like bah humbug vibe to him but he doesn't have like the heavy dark past um mm. and the big thing was that she wanted to add an lgbt element to it um so that we had more queer characters in our main cast especially in the npc side of things because there are npcs in the curse of Strahd that have lgbtq representation but we have a bad problem there of the barrier gaze where the characters are actually dead spoiler alert so <laughs> it it's really frustrating from like a queer perspective um so what ended up happening was uh we started playing it was great we got through you know the town of barovia we moved on we were headed to Velaki, and um i had not like i've been having a hard time like getting into my character through the first several sessions of gameplay i was like he's just he's not fitting right like i just don't know what's going on well they walk into the Blue Water Inn and Robin Van Richten is in there <laughs> and my bard sees, well, my, my wizard sees this bard and is like, I'm going to proposition this bard. And then suddenly their characters stick together and the whole campaign explodes with character development. So they fall in love and they have this like side thing happening that doesn't influence the overarching plot but in all of the influence they have on each other, they learn new skills. And Robin learns to be more optimistic about the possibility of being able to escape Barovia, while my character ends up multiclassing as a bard and realizing that he can be so much more than just a noble. And like that, it's just this really cool dynamic where the romance is there. But what's really interesting is the friendship that is happening underneath their romance and how it influences the overarching plot. That's and so it, cool. it's just such a different, it's a more optimistic vibe than the original story, which is very dark. Strahd is a very dark campaign, you know? So um, yeah, we you can really take any character that exists as an NPC and put your own flavor on that character. You can even strip them down and build somebody entirely new. And what will initially happen is your campaign is gonna be its own unique blueprint because you've taken the slight detour. Even if you have a lot of the same you know, major plot elements, it gives you a chance to one, create a character you can connect with, which was where my wife was at. She wanted a character that she emotionally connected with. And then, you know, it gave us an opportunity to kind of go off the books and the way that it influenced the plot made it so that we couldn't possibly gather what would happen next. You couldn't go to somebody else's playthrough or listen to a podcast because this one character has like changed, has created a butterfly effect through the plot line. And it's just, 
it's just fantastic. And now we actually write these two characters in their own adventures outside of the D&D campaign, additionally. So they go off and have their own adventures. And someday I want to just turn all their micro adventures into mini D&D campaigns. <laughs> but yeah, so um, that's that. one of the best examples. She also took the LGBT representation in Strahd. And again, you know, it's it's been out for a while. So everybody kind of knows about like the the spoilery aspects. But um, she yeah, I took- worry about that too much. <laughs> Yeah, she took a bunch of the knights. Oh my gosh, I am completely spacing what they are called. But there's 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 some knights in the story that fall in love. They're dead. And at the end, you liberate them and their spirits float off in the abyss. Well, what mm. she did was instead of them just like dying, she played it like they were frozen in time. So when you solve their puzzle, if you're successful in liberating them, their entire world is reignited as it was the day that they technically died Mm. so instead of losing these characters in this like poetic queer death now you have these allies and you get to see their relationship actively in the campaign which i thought was just such a cool spin on the content um and she was like i just can't kill them they're so interesting i want to see what they do next and i it just it was just so much more rewarding, I think, for us as a player base, because, you know, yay, we liberated them. And now we have this empty, ratty, folly a party castle or, you know, we reinvigorate the space. It becomes a home base and it, you know, it builds that sense of returning optimism in Barovia that these heroes are trying to bring to help liberate the people under Strahd even though, you know, it's not really Strahd, it's bigger, eviler things, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that point when you're epic characters. Um, yeah, I love that. It reminds me a little bit, are you a Star Trek fan at all? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, so what you're describing, you did, uh, your, your uh, wife did with those characters, reminds me of uh, Wilson Cruz and Anthony Rapp's uh, relationship in season one of Discovery mm-hmm. and how... It was great, but they're dead. And then, you know, they were able to be like, you know what? No, let's actually have these these two characters who are so in love continue in in a more of a happily ever after type of uh, way. Yeah. And I thought just... that was like a deliberate choice by those writers to be like, you know, mm-hmm. we, we probably, we fell into this trope. We didn't even realize we were falling into it. Let's reverse it in a way that felt very sci-fi. And it feels like you're doing that same thing with fantasy here. Yeah, it's, you know, there's so little good lgbt rep in fantasy as a genre which is very odd to me um you know you'll see little micro mentions of it and you know a lot of the writers especially in the like the era that i love to read they were very formidable in pioneering concepts that were just not talked about or touched on and mccaffrey's a great example her feminism in her writing is subtle it's not political but it's monumental for the time frame she was writing in. Like the kind of stuff, women captaining ships, female characters in power, um, the use of like powerful female voices, but never in a way where you felt like you were having, you know, a political sign shoved down your throat, not to be (laughs) harsh, but sometimes like modern, modern fantasy, when it does decide to take that LGBT spin, it becomes bogged down by like, the the desire to make a statement 
when just having a good, healthy relationship, I always like to tell people as a gay person, um, I don't want to read a gay character who is gay first and then likes vanilla ice cream and has like a a flavor for like some sort of coffee. What I want is a bard who prefers the violin, who has a sister he really loves, who spent all this time abroad learning all these things and happens to have a male partner. And I think sometimes we, we lose that in trying to bring representation. We just bring the stereotype. When in actuality, we need to bring the people and it's the bringing of people, bringing of strong characters and good story that makes things delicious. It makes you want to engage in them and bring them into your own, you know, media influence. And, you know, that's what I want to do when I'm building these characters is bring stories to people that you can relate to, but that are still good stories, backboned by strong you know, presences. That's really important. I think, you know, I, it's, it's, I, I, we see that across all forms of representation where, you know, uh, we just, we're seeing a lot of things around uh, people from different ethnicities and how that has to be, that's not their entire identity. It's part of their identity, Mm -hmm. but it's not their entire identity. And I think that's really important for, for LGBTQ as well. It's like they, they know there's, 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 you're so much more than just one facet of your person. Yeah. You know, you're, you know, real people are just so much more than that. It's the same reason that like, you know, a romance book is like a romance book, but a good fantasy, the characters tend to be so much more fleshed out. Yeah. And D and D can be hard, right? I mean, I think it's, it's important to have this discussion in this venue because we sometimes just very easily use the, the, uh, most important details of a character up front, right? We're like, what? Who yeah. are you playing? Oh, I'm playing a half elf bard. And then you're like, <laughs> well, okay, that does that that does describe the race and the class. But what but are, are they? they? Like, who are they? Yeah. What are the characters, right? And so it's easy to just to be like, oh, this person is is gay or lesbian or or, or trans, mm. and that just being the the ending point. Just and you're like, consumes them. Yeah, it's like you know the sleazy bard trope. Actually, I recently wrote an entire like. 1200 word dissertation on different bard types. Like your bard does not have to be overly sexualized. As a matter of fact, somebody write an ace bard. They could do so many other things besides have odd one night stands in taverns. Like what, what can your bard do? You know, they don't have to be limited to this predisposition of, you know, stereotypes that have been put on the bard class. And, um, deviating from the stereotypes of characters classes it can be really intimidating in dnd because especially if you're a new player you know you come in and you've got to learn stats you've got to learn dice rolls you've got to learn combat and party mechanics and role play so what do you do you go and you find stuff that makes sense and you stack it into your character sheet so your first character oftentimes is like that f- that big fighter or that pretty wizard. And you look back and you're like, mm. like I look back on my first DND character and I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then like, you know, as, as things go on, these characters grow and develop and they can become their own thing. But to start out with like, what I always like to do when we're sitting down to make character sheets is we roll a random generator and it's like, what's their favorite flavor of ice cream? Where do they like to 
read books, you know, <laughs> because those little things, you know, does your character read? Are they a fighter who's in love with books? Do they spend more time reading maybe than showing up to practice? Like maybe they love what they do as a fighter, but maybe they also enjoy reading about botanical horticulture. Like who knows? <laughs> and it just gives that flavor. You know, you have like this big bulky fighter out on like the uh, side of the road, picking chamomile for the, for the camp that night. And it's just those little things that one lead to really excellent role play situations and two make memorable campaigns and characters where you look yeah. back and you're like, do you remember that time when we were at the campsite and the bard decided that he wanted to cook dinner and blew everything up? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just funny. And it, it makes for really healthy engagement between characters. Part of the bonding again. That, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it also gives the dungeon master so much to work with too, when you have that many details. Like if your fighter mm -hmm. is a book lover as well, then, you know, reward that fighter somewhere down the line and, yeah, Maybe they find like you know they go to Candle Keep. <laughs> Maybe it's their dream to like get in they there. Just, they they are just like I I went to fight school, but all I want to do oh, is find the fun. best library ever. <laughs> I just want and my picture just, outside. It's just so wholesome, you know. <laughs> or like oh man, it's like it, um, one of the big reasons that my wizard became a bard is because he loves to play the violin. He just loves it. And that mixed with his public speaking, I was like, oh my gosh, I could multi-class him. And I did it. <laughs> and it was great. That's because he, cool. I may not have thought to do that before. And what's so funny is that there's all those tools within the rules right now, right? Like that's why there are multi-class rules. That's why there are uh, ways that you can really customize a character by mm -hmm. abilities, you know? But that's, that, you know, the feats system is one that I, I wish more people latched onto because right you can create a, a, um, a barbarian who is an actor uh, yeah and it's all and right it, there and it's all in the rules it's like the encouragement is there I think people um, I think that there's like one of the things we've run into is as a campaign when we try to invite new people um, we get asked the question of do you play old school or are you one of the people who does a lot of role play ah. like there's this mentality of like you know, there is kind of like a 3.5 and back kind of boys club, so to speak, um, of people who really want to latch to those stereotypes and like the more rigid rules and the mathematics-based combat. And like, then you deviate away from that and they have to learn a new gameplay style. And that's where you have some of that chafing. Yeah. So we've had people straight up turn us down as far as like go joining our campaign because we don't play old school <laughs> and we're very like modern and we have a lot of role play opportunities and we really encourage that inner character interaction. And for me, it's always a mixture, right? That's what makes this game so wonderful is that there are the three pillars of, of how you play this game and mm -hmm. different dungeon masters will lean on each of those pillars at different times throughout their campaign. And I think that's where the magic uh, really comes from. Yeah. And like the, the combination of old school players, they can bring so much knowledge as far as like, if you wanted to pull stuff from older campaigns that hasn't been added to like five, then mm -hmm. they could come in and be like, like one of the things that I want so badly is to see more of like those sci-fi elements from like older campaigns brought forward into 5e 
Cause like spell jammer, oh, <laughs> I love it. And like the, the concepts of those older campaigns, you know, they, some of these players have actually like played through those campaigns and they can come in and be like, Hey, here's how we could add this concept. Yeah. Right. And uh, again, to jump back to the adventure zone, I think you see a little bit of spell jammer in those five E elements in the balance arc of, of Taz, like the uh, way that everything works, especially in the later chapters is very, very spell jammery to me. And I love it. And there's all that stuff in, you know, Tales from the Yawning Portal has uh, Journey to the Barrier Peaks in in there, and that is such a nod to where both uh, uh, the sci-fi and fantasy elements can work together. Like, they're not... I, I used to have, when I was a old-school theater kid, I used to have those arguments of, like, what's sci- sci-fi versus what's fantasy? And I just love that over time, those barriers have become... All right, it's just <laughs> speculative fiction. Yeah. And I love Have you that. read any Anne McCaffrey... <laughs> <laughs> you should she she actually her primary series weaves sci-fi and fantasy together and i use a lot of her um storytelling elements in my dm style nice yeah cool. i've had Anne mccaffrey on my shelf and i she's just one uh, author i have not gotten to but you got it she's so good <laughs> i love that stuff that's in uh some of the margaret weiss and tracy hickman uh mm-hmm. death gate cycle uh uh series where it does it blends that line where you know are we yeah, in the future earth or are we in a past and and like how does technology did it regress or is it just that like it became irrelevant you know yeah no it's that kind of like um i love to play stories as a dm where you don't have all the cards easily on the table and like, there's always some underlying thing you're waiting for, like that surprise factor. And when my players discover those things, it completely changes the way they start interacting with stuff. I ran a one shot recently of a trick haunted house mm-hmm. and they're going through all the rooms and they have to interact with all these puzzles. But right from the very beginning, they could have discovered the entire thing by interacting with the character's portrait behind the door because the whole thing is an illusion. And so when they figure this out later down the road that they've literally just been kind of wandering through something that doesn't even exist and like the ghost of the property has just been following them, messing with them. Like it's that, it's that spooky aspect or that thing you don't expect that is designed to give you chills and make you curious about your environment and how you interact with it. I think that sounds so cool. Right? And then I'm like, you are playing a game that is a fantasy already. Now let's add another layer. Let's add another layer. (laughs) How deep does this rabbit hole go, says Morpheus. It's it's Inception. You're you're standing there. You're looking in the mirror, in the mirror, in the mirror. It's fine. Oh, through the looking Uh, glass, right? It's that surreal Lewis Carroll stuff, too. Yeah. I love. I I love a little bit of gothic horror in my campaigns. Mm-hmm. Oh, have you played anything with Van Richten's uh, Guide to Ravenloft? No, I want to, but my wife says I can't peek because there's elements of it in the uh, the end. It's the only one that I haven't been allowed to super dive into uh-huh. because there are spoilers for the end of our campaign. We've been doing Strahd for four years because we've added wow. so much to it. Oh my gosh. We same also group? have a baby in there. Yeah, it's been the same group of people. We're a small group. We it's myself, my wife, and two of our friends. Oh, that's good. 
So um, we, we've had guest stars. So people will come in and try playing with us and we'll let them just jump in um, and see if they think that their play style fits with us. But the Strahd story is so unique at this point that yeah. usually they're like, we'll jump in in your next campaign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like you got a good thing going there. Yeah, it's so campaign. fun. I'm so excited to get to the end because I want to know if we get out of Barovia. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, let me roll a dice. Uh, <laughs> nope. Sorry, you don't. You don't get ah, out. Ah, shoot. <laughs> Who knows? That's, so it sounds like just, you know, from our last conversation and hearing you talk that you uh, talk now, your DM style is like, it's very like, story driven and intricate and you like to weave in lots of of different plot points and be thoughtful about the characters and, and also like, you know, creating characters and NPCs that are, you know, more than just like that way to the mountain, you know, like, yeah. Like, like how, um, what, how do you, what are tips for like, for dungeon masters that, you know, want to, to weave more of these elements in a thoughtful so way? I'm a very big proponent of narrative gameplay, of narrative-driven concepts. And part of it is accessibility. Um, everybody that plays in our group um, is neurodiverse on some level. And combat can be not just frustrating, but just unachievable in long stretches. If you've got ADHD or you're struggling to just concentrate, um, it's just not as much fun. And so I have really intense ADHD. And the idea to bring a lot of narrative in was originally to make it so that um, the engagement level stayed high. And my question that I always ask myself when planning is, is this battle necessary or Mm. can it be shortened or replaced by something of equal experience points, but with character interaction? Um, I love to do the multiple endings scenario, which is more work for the DM and may not work for everybody, but where you present in critical moments, several large scale decisions. And based on those decisions made by the, by the player, you can branch off into different situations. So giving your players some autonomy as to the direction, instead of just this linear, you go here, you fight a thing, you go here, you go through a dungeon, you fight a bunch of things. You are on the road and you fight a thing. You get to the next city, you talk to the guy, you do the thing to go to the place. And at the end, you rescue the princess. Like that linear, you've been on an adventure style. It doesn't always work for everybody. So instead, you know, say your starting group, um, they set out and then you have a point where they can choose to go to two different cities. And depending on the two different cities they go to, they have different interactions with NPCs that then lead them to make different decisions. And I will sometimes have like three or four like large scale goals. And depending on which direction the players go, those outcomes change. And that really, um, it makes the story feel like it's for everybody and that the players are autonomous people who can make decisions rather than it just being like their autonomy lies in a dice roll for how they act in a battle or how they're able to charm a character. Um, The other thing that I would always recommend is to give your characters opportunities, like give your players characters opportunities to speak up about thoughts because the characters are attached to people who have ideas. And as the DM, ideas are your fodder. Like 
you can be playing a standard campaign and then somebody's like, yeah, but what if, what if there's a magician here who's screwing with everybody? And then suddenly this is your own campaign. And it does take a little bit of homebrew, but one of my big things is never be afraid of a little homebrew because it adds flavor. It makes a unique campaign. Um, And, you know, there's a, there's a good time and place for combat, but if you are in a dungeon and your, your players are fighting like seven low level characters, one after another, after another, maybe shorten it down to like two slightly higher level characters or have them encounter a group or maybe stick a puzzle in there and take a couple of the character um, combat encounters out so that you can freshen up that gameplay and it doesn't quite feel so much like a, a grind. But some yeah. people really like dungeons. So always talk to your group before you build your campaign. That's the biggest, uh, I think, lesson out of all of that is that I, I've had players who, uh, you know, I, I wanted to get their ideas. I'm soliciting ideas. Be like, what do you guys, what do you want to do? What, how do you want to, here's a big open world, a little bit more of a sandbox style. I want to fight it. Campaign, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> or they're like, what do you think we should do? Like out of character, just asking me, the DM, what they, I'm like, oh, wait, hold on. This is a, this was your guided uh, type of thing, right? And so in some ways, a linear progression would be better for that that group. And so it's about figuring out what what makes sense for 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 that uh, group of people. Yeah, and you may have a group that isn't super into role play. Like our group right now loves it, but I know some players who would much prefer to come in and have like set goals, and you achieve those goals by ticking off check marks. And then you also have to ask yourself, you know, am I the kind of DM where I'm going to enjoy DMing that? If the answer is no, maybe you let somebody else have the reins and you step back. You know, so like. At the end of the day, D&D should be fun. And if it's yeah. if your characters aren't like if the characters aren't engaging with each other or if your players are not clicked in, if you have somebody who's skipping a lot of sessions all of a sudden and you're in a really RP heavy situation, maybe they're uncomfortable with that. And the at the end of the day, the biggest thing is to always check with your players how are they doing? And talking to your players can be really intimidating, you know, um We've had situations where we've had to sit down and be like, what's going on? You know, you don't seem to be enjoying this and it's showing in your character. And the player was like, well, I think I actually want to kill my character and re-roll. And we were like, whoa. Oh my God. <laughs> well, that came from nowhere. That changes yeah. everything. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's just that maybe somebody's had a hard time or maybe this character has just gone off the rails and they just don't feel like developing them anymore. But if you touch bases with your players and your players should always touch base with your DM. You know, I remember one day I walked in and my wife was sitting on the floor surrounded by the books for Strahd and she just looked like her head was going to pop off her shoulders. And I was like, you were going to skip a session this week. And she was like, no, I don't want to let you guys down. And I'm like, you're not letting anyone down. A burned out DM is not enjoying the right. game. And if you're a burned out DM, you, you're just, it's a chore and D&D is supposed to be fun. Oh, look at that. Dungeon Masters shouldering the burden for the player's like, good time. It's it's so it's so much effort and like you're putting on a performance and you're yeah. managing so many characters. If you're not in a headspace to do it, speak up. You know, yeah. your mental health should always come first. Right. And- there's that expectation, you know, like a player, because there's probably more than one of you at the table, but a player would, you know, be like, I'm not feeling it today. I just, you know, I'm not gonna 
But like the, I feel like dungeon masters don't give themselves that same grace ever mm-hmm. to just be like, I can't. I just That's, I'm depleted, I, not in the right space. Well, I need a it's, it's not black and white though, too, because there are. I've had experiences where that happens once, and then the next time you schedule it, I'm not feeling it then either. With the oh, dungeon and then I'm master, not feeling it, and then all of a sudden the whole campaign falls apart because. There was you know, something bigger. It, right? And that's where that's where I think the pressure for DMs happens because if, if my players are the ones who are canceling, that's one thing. But if I'm the one who's canceling, then it then becomes... No one can play. Yeah, right. then, then this, maybe this... And then maybe this is what you're talking about, Laura, where that's just the subtle signal that, hey, maybe this group isn't the, the best fit at this particular moment in, you know, everyone's lives mm-hmm. right now. Well, and that's, that's something, too. Like, for us, Strahd was on hold for a little bit because... You know, the last couple of years have just been so hard on people and creativity doesn't come quickly or easily to people when things are hard. My wife's a teacher. She teaches middle school art and bless her. We've also had a child during that time frame (laughs) that she's been teaching remote. The, The weeks after my son was born, she wasn't on FMLA. She was running a remote classroom and, you know, we had a preemie baby. So it was like, we hit this point in the middle of the summer after my dad passed away where we just needed a mental recoup and we haven't been playing as stable or steady as we were before, but the sessions that we have are so much better because we, we took a step back. And I think there also comes a point, like if you've been in a campaign, you know, that's four years long, there, there can be a time where the DM is just like, I want to play again. And, you know, if you don't have a lot of time and all you're doing is planning and delivering D&D sessions for your party, you know, maybe, maybe you do just put it on the back burner for a while and run a different campaign where someone else is DMing. And, you know, I think it's interesting too, because I think the primary killer of campaigns is creative burnout. Like people just, they just get to a point where they're like, I don't know what to do next. (laughs) which is where like source books can be so helpful because they keep you on track. They can pull you back. If you have no ideas, you're like oh, random vampire encounter. Got it. <laughs> but if you've gone off the rails and you're homebrewing, you know, and you're pulling all that content up yourself, it can be really, really difficult. I think right now, one of the best things to do for people feeling burned out is one shots, you know, one to four oh. sessions, um, everybody can take a turn, draw a straw and have a chance to practice their DMing. So everybody else gets a chance to play and the stories are shorter. You can use your characters from the previous campaigns, but yeah. it might be like the break, the space that your DM needs to reboot on the bigger campaign. Yeah, definitely. And like, you know, just having a change of environment can do wonders too. I mean, I don't mean physically, I mean like where where you're adventuring, like, you know, pull something out of Candlekeep Mysteries for for one week and then go do, you know, find there's a million one shots on the DMs Guild that are amazing and great. And yeah. There's so much like, content available. Just, <laughs> just play a, around. Proverbial D D vacation. <laughs> it beach is. episode. We need a beach episode. We do. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to the we MTV do. beach house. <laughs> now you're talking. Yeah, there's lots of good stuff there for sure. Um, do you so I was still like also wanted to revisit our party bonding uh, conversation again because it yeah. was such a cool topic. I just really loved the idea. Because one of my favorite things about D D is like 
the bonding that happens. <laughs> and it happens like in real life. Yeah. Um, and then I remember after reading your article, just being so surprised by the thought of like, I don't think our characters talk to each other <laughs> in the game. Like, we're all talking at the Dungeon Master. There is so mm-hmm. little, like, I don't think we ever just really, like, hang out together. Yeah, inner character interactions, they're so important. They really are. And then, like, hearing the story about Robin and meeting your character, I'm like, I mean, I want that. Like, I It's want- magic. Like, I fell is. in love with my wife again, which I basically <laughs> do every day. But, like, it was particularly cool to, like, fall in love again your characters falling yes so good like dnd romance forever everybody should go get a dnd partner it's super awesome i know well that i guess awesome. i mean that's why role-playing has been part of couples therapy for years um <laughs> but like let's revisit a little bit of of the tips for for how to to foster that kind of bonding that in that character character bonding during dnd we we just always seem like so focused on like what our own characters are doing we never just really just hang out and chill get to know each other so you know the first big thing is um if if you are the dm always give your characters a chance to interact whether this is you park your characters at a campsite for the night but instead of everybody just like doing their spells polishing their swords and going to sleep you know they have a chance to talk or you know you the dm could literally be like so how do you guys make dinner And then just step back. You know, how do you guys set up the tent? Step back and just give your characters, you know, it doesn't have to be much, you know, three to five minutes can be a huge amount. Um, The other thing is like when you're on the road, you can have, you know, a character be, give your characters a chance to talk. So as the DM be like, um, does anybody have anything to say? Now this can be really difficult because you might have to prompt people who are not used to the role play aspect, it can be like nerve wracking, but once you encourage it a little bit, they'll start trying stuff. It usually picks up pretty quickly. Um, The other thing is rewarding characters for interacting. So say, um, like, say you have a, a fighter and a wizard and they have a really good emotional conversation about something from their past like something that is the same for both of them in their childhood. Like they both lost a parent or they both had a pet that was the same species. And then later down the road, like they find a cat in the street and these two characters immediately go for it. And they get like an advantage on what the cat is doing. And it could lead them to some cool little subplot um, where they get to do something together that involves this common denominator. Um, The other thing is don't be afraid to encourage like, characters as as they interact like in combat I feel like sometimes like everybody gets so involved in the combat but banter is funny like I had my wizard at one point was like trying to we were fighting Babalai Saga and my character was trying to set the tree on fire and it was raining and I just had him like I was talking as him in character just like swearing at this hut he was trying to set on fire <laughs> and you know encouraging that and then my my wife was like responding to that as her character is being like is he gonna actually manage this like and then our barbarian was like you know wizards aren't particularly useful at hitting things and then we had some banter there and it just creates this like very um fluid and very natural 
character interaction that then you later down the road, you're like sitting there and you're like, remember when your barbarian was totally like, your wizard's never going to hit that house. And then he did it. (laughs) Um, But as characters, like as players, when you are getting into things, um, the big thing is not to be um, focused so much on your character, but getting to know the characters around you. So, you know, I think a lot of people are always looking for that moment to shine where they're like waiting for that chance to roll their charisma or argue or start a bar fight or do something heroic. But we, we need to step back as players and look at the people playing alongside us, you know? So if you're at a point where you're at a rest stop and you're packing up for the night and you notice that the cleric in your group is reading a book, but it's not his holy book, have your character go over and interact with that person, you know, be like, sit down and be like, what you reading? How is that going? Is it interesting? It may not feel super fluid at first, but I mean, what conversation in real life when you're trying to break the ice with someone isn't super awkward sometimes, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know? Exactly. Making friends isn't easy and your characters don't know anything about each other until they take the time to get to know each other. And once they do, you have moments where like you're in a, you're in a dungeon and you remember that cleric is afraid of the dark. So your wizard lights a light and it builds relationship or you remember that you're, you're say you're standing in a cemetery and you remember that one of your players characters had lost someone to them recently. And this might be an upsetting place. So you put a hand on their shoulder, you know, and it's those little flavors that build relationships and then when you're in a dire fight and some character that is but become a friend of yours is on the life or death line, you do something about it. Like your, your character jumps out and they're like, I've got you. And they like heal that character. Or if you lose a party member, it's so much more impactful because like you've built this narrative between these characters and it goes from just a group of people on a journey to a combined narrative where everybody's stories have become one and this tapestry that you weave together is you know is so much more beautiful because everybody's bringing these colors and pulling them together into this full picture rather than just having strips of fabric on the ground that run completely separate of each other I love that metaphor and Uh I like what you said too about rewarding as a dm that type of interaction because as you mentioned sometimes when you're when you're role playing out a encounter, you might shut down that line of inquiry. We're like, oh, I don't, I, I don't want to talk to you about the, whatever book I'm reading, and you think you're being realistic or being, uh, you know, I don't know, providing a challenge to your player. But what that really is signaling is, no, I don't want to encourage uh, that type of role play. And so if yeah. you lean too much on that, then they just won't do it. And so if they are showing that initiative. Give them something for it. Yeah. Give them a story. If, give them a magic item even at the end of that little story so that heck, it feels like, oh, if XP, I do this. You know, if you wanna if you wanna get like um really technical with stuff, um have an XP bar for a social interaction, you know, yeah. where you get a certain amount of XP at the end of a camp session if you engaged with the other characters. Oh, that's really smart too. I like that. Yeah. Just make it overt like a video game, like here, you're filling yeah. up this bar. You need you, if you, if that's what it takes to, because some people are really shy and that's okay. Like if you've 
if you're a really introverted person playing with a bunch of extroverts or you're a new player playing with a bunch of seasoned players, it can be really intimidating to dive in and make a character voice. I talk with a British accent that is terrible. It is so <laughs> terrible. But like that but character voice, yeah, it, it gives my character personality. And, you know, the whole original point was to kind of make him sound posh, but that, eh, I don't know if I succeeded, but like, you know, reward people for that, you know, at the end of the session, be like, hey, thanks for jumping in there and really taking the reins in that social interaction. You did really well. It's important to remember that outside of the campaign, these people may have just done something they're terrified of doing. They've performed in front of their peers. They have opened themselves up to the criticism and potential, like the, the the potential hurt that can come from being vulnerable in that way. And not everybody's a natural thespian. So if you have somebody who's always been really quiet, who suddenly just goes out there and nails it, like we always do like a check-in after the session and we'll talk about points that we really liked. And like one of our players, she was really nervous for a long time about like getting really into character. And then one day she just pulled out this bar barbarian voice and I was like yes <laughs> got it nailed it and it's just it completely changes the way that that character behaves because confidence in the player brings confidence to the character yeah. and support from the dm and your other players creates more incentive and initiative to bring those kinds of experiences into the campaign yes and mm-hmm. that's where it all boils down to right like if you feel that with everyone at the table with you that they're just going to be contributing and encouraging what you're doing, mm-hmm. then it, 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 it makes the story more entertaining for everyone. And also as the DM, if you have somebody who teases, makes fun of, or is not kind when other people put themselves out there, I have straight up pulled people Throw them in a trap. It. Yeah, I will be like, hey, <laughs> I know that you're, you're jesting, but it's not coming across that way. It's not cool. And that's not the kind of attitude we're bringing to this table. Like, do you say that DM, right then and there, or like after? Um, the- I've I've called people. My wife has called people out in the moment. Hey, that's not cool. Um, yeah. One of the big things I had in one of my campaigns was arguing with the DM. And finally, one day, I just shut it down. I was like, if we're not gonna, if we're gonna argue with the consequence, I had a murder hobo. <laughs> I was like, if you're not <laughs> gonna deal with the consequences of your actions, then we can't play because you can't just walk into a room and engage in combat with a bunch of civilians and not get the attention of somebody who just murdered a bunch of civilians. Right. You know, and the flip to this was the constant nitpicking. I've straight up been like right there at the table. I don't appreciate the attitude that we've got right now. Um, We need to respect each other as players. And if you call someone out, they will very often stop doing it. And if they don't stop doing it, we have actually had to uh, retire people from groups before where they were not invited back to sessions because their attitude was not great. And it's not that you want to bar somebody from playing, but it's a team sport. And if you've got one person in a soccer game tackling people like it's a football match, I know nothing about sports. I need to put that up there. That that worked. That was good. That was a good metaphor, though. (laughs) You you show up and you've got somebody balling over your teammates. You're not going to win anything. You're just going to have a bunch of bruised up sad people that you were supposed to be team members with. Yeah. So, you know, don't be rude. Don't be derogatory. Leave that crap at home. You know, the D&D table is not a space to pull people down. That's important, right? Yes. And then it encourages all the other parts of what 
you know, really engaging story can be like if you uh, uh, set those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Definitely. Well, All now I, 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 I want to play your and your table. <laughs> Me too. I want to meet well, these I'm thinking NPCs. About starting a, I'm thinking about starting something in the Feywild here soon. I but love I'm, the Feywild. I'm so excited. I've been reading all of this new content and I'm like, I need to make an entire campaign based around all of this, but I don't know quite how I'm going to do it yet. So I have ideas. Now oh, I want to take something you said you. earlier about the butterfly effect, but then make that about the f- Feywild and the butterfly, you know, like uh, literal themes. butterflies, literal yeah, butterfly butterflies. effect. <laughs> you, you accidentally tick off a butterfly and then it leaves the Feywild and it destroys the material plane. An right. angry <laughs> butterfly, just one angry butterfly. Oh my God, that would be probably. Wait, what if you go, you like mistakenly fall into the Feywild, you, Interact with a butterfly, and then you get out of the Feywild, but everything's different. You find yourself in a different reality. It was a planar butterfly. It was it a planar butterfly. A, it puts you in a parallel existence. It's the one who controls the door. The butterfly is the access. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, there we go. There's Talk ideas. about fantasy and sci-fi. Maybe Together. there's a butterfly that controls all of the uh, gates to different parallel universes, and then you have to keep jumping universes until you find home. And that's your campaign is jumping right. universes parallel to parallel and taking on different challenges in each of those areas. We're mashing uh, up butterfly yeah. effect with quantum leap. Uh, let's do let's it. Let's do it. Let's do it. I I'm love in. this idea. It was, um, yes. And everybody Inspired. has to travel wearing fancy helmets and it'll be cool. <laughs> flight suits. D&D flight suits. I, I, could, I could definitely, my characters could rock a nice pantsuit. Yeah. You call mm-hmm. it flight suit. I call it pantsuit. And a <laughs> they'll <laughs> have cool logos totally it'll be yeah. the butterfly effect that, that's mm-hmm. the party's name the butterfly effect yeah, yeah. very inspired well and we'll get ashton kutcher to join well, no we won't never mind <laughs> dang it <laughs> i'm telling you coffee with griffin Ma- mcelroy yeah right, and griffin, even we'll better him and, and we'll drink coffee with him in one of those parallel universes yes <laughs> well it's been awesome talking to you laura uh so my Brain is inspired uh, with so many new fun ways to uh, both DM and be a, a really engaged player. Like, I just, I love all of your thoughts about this. Well, thank you so much. And it's been so much fun getting to come back and have a conversation with you guys about these things. Yeah. I, I love getting to talk about the uh, the narrative and player side of, of D&D. It's so important. Yeah. And I'm sure that you will inspire many, many listeners. And if they are just hearing this and sad that it's ending they can just go check out all of your amazing articles on Screen Rant because yeah, you're- Yeah, come read my things. There's lots of ideas yes. there. Tons of good stuff there. Not just about D&D, about lots of, of other games as well. But I mean, obviously, we really love the D&D ones. <laughs> uh, but it's great. Yes, lots lots of great wisdom from you as, as usual. And is Screen Rant so the best place to send people? Or is there other other stuff, other publications? Uh, is there more of a personal website there? So uh, Screen Rant is the best place to find me. You'll find me under Laura Gray at Screen Rant. Um, I also have a Twitter. It is, oh gosh, it is all of my names. Uh, it's Laura Gray Holt 1 at Twitter. Number one. Um, but if you, if you Google Laura Gray Twitter, it just kind of like pops up. Uh, I'm really new to Twitter, so if you tweet at me, I paw at the notification like a cat. So if you want in- infinite <laughs> entertainment, send me a notification on Twitter. Um, it's like a also, red laser. I, 
Yeah, I also love to chat with people. So if you ever hit me up um, and you have questions on Twitter, um, I will just answer from like my experience as a DM. And I, I love to talk with other people who have had DM experiences because it's just, it's a lot of fun. Sweet. Well, everyone go uh, check out Laura Gray on Twitter. Ask them all the things uh, that are there. And uh, I, I can't wait. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to follow you now. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. And I hope that you guys have a great rest of your day and that you have all of the great adventures uh, jumping parallel universes after this butterfly. We totally Can't wait. <laughs> Butterflies are forever changed for me now. I will follow them everywhere. And I rolled a 20, so that means that uh, all, all of those things you just predicted are coming true. Oh, okay. I'll go get my, I'm going to go get my place. <laughs> <laughs> What a wonderful conversation. I love everything that Laura was talking about. Uh, there is so much wisdom and and inspiration coursing through their veins. I'm I'm just delighted and also wonderful to be able to revisit our earlier conversation from our How to Be a DM segment. So if you want yeah. to hear more from Laura, go back to the archives. It was sometime in August of 2021. And that was also a really great conversation and some really good advice. So definitely check that out. Good stuff. Good stuff all around. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, as always, when we speak to inspiring people it makes me just want to go play D like right that's, away oh my god it's when 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 they were talking about the party bonding i'm like i just want to have conversations around a campfire with other D characters take <laughs> me away those have been my favorite parts of of D sessions right that's where it all comes together yeah it's really good it's well tough. if you are so inspired to want to jump into playing dungeons and dragons there's a couple ways that you can do all of that and get what's coming down the pipe from the D&D team. You can go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. That's a really great way. Download yep. basic rules on how to play D&D right there and jump in and start playing. Follow us on Twitter at Wizards underscore DND. Same thing on Instagram. Follow on the Facebook page. Sign up for our D&D newsletter, which is in the show notes to this here podcast episode. And while you're at it, if you're you know so inclined, you can follow me. I'm at Greg Tito on Twitter and uh, Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. You can see all of the pictures that Shelly and I have posted uh, from our weekend in the Olympic Peninsula there. Oh, that's right. I'm going to post even more now for sure. You can follow me at Shelly Moo on Twitter and Instagram. Excellent stuff. And we can't wait for hearing all about all the things that you do uh, in your D&D game like we've been sharing with you when we play our little bit here at the end here with Drunky Tissues. Oh, boy. So you are in the midst of fighting doppelgangers in the city of Waterdeep and the doppelganger that you were just fighting uh, in the basement, you, it's the only one still standing, your two allies Samson, the fighter, and your brother, Daryl, are up the ladder, up on the ground floor. And the doppelganger you're fighting turned into your brother, looking mm -hmm. exactly like Daryl Two-Shoes. And you, uh, Drunky, cast a minor illusion to appear like the doppelganger's natural form. And we're making fun of them. What, what exactly <laughs> did you say again? I'm a doppelganger. <laughs> <laughs> so it is, it's clever though, right? 
Very, very clever. And unfortunately, too clever for Daryl, who is looking down at these two uh, <laughs> figures and is unsure of what to do. And he Carol. says, Drunky, which, which, which one are you? Obviously not the one who looks like you. Okay, so I dr- can I just drop the minor illusion? Sure. Okay, because this is, come on. I thought it would be obvious. Daryl, I'm right here. I'm right here. Well, Hit get him. up here then. Uh, I always fall for your stupid illusions. <laughs> Ever <laughs> since we were little tiny kittens. <laughs> you would conjure that thing of milk and I would be so upset. I know, and then you would bash your little face into the floor because you thought it was a saucer of milk. And it was just air. Sorry. And he says, oh, wait, hold on. And he sees that the doppelganger uh, that looks like Daryl is trying to punch you uh, and slam you. But Daryl, your real Daryl, takes out uh, a dagger. And he tries to throw it and uh, aims at the doppelganger and hits. Uh, And I'll say that his dagger actually hits the arm that was swinging out to slam you, drunkie. Um, and he does a certain amount of damage. Uh, oh, yeah, he does like uh, seven points of damage, which is a lot for a dagger. Uh, yeah. Hitting him, uh, and uh, the doppelganger curses and says, I hate it when you hit me with daggers, in a Daryl voice, which is very disturbing. Okay. What do you do? It, it is now your turn. Um, is Samson okay? Samson is hurt, but he has uh, made it up to the top now. Oh, okay. All right. So is it just this guy still that's bothering us the rest have been knocked out or yeah they're the bodies are strewn about some of them look like uh uh who were looking like halflings are now like morphing into the original doppelganger shape okay and we have sent the message to laryl so hopefully she's on her way but she's aware i'm looking for like something to restrain this doppelganger is there like rope is there duct tape um, is there? Uh, you, you can pull out rope uh, that you have in your back, but it'll take an action. Am I still shackled? You are still shackled, though. Uh-huh. Okay, um, I'll go up to the top of the stairs with the with the boas, and um, I think because it's drunky and she can't control herself, she might want to try to hit this doppelganger again. Okay. Well, you are, like I said, you're shackled, and you can't really climb up a ladder shackled. Or at least it'll be very difficult. Oh, I thought so. they were stairs. No, there, it's a it's a ladder that comes down. All right, down. well, um, so I can't pull out. Hey, Daryl, you got any? I can't. I can't tie him up anyway. Because uh, <laughs> you're cause tied. Because I'm, I'm all shackled. Okay, can I just try to get out of my shackles? Uh, yeah, you can try. It's a dexterity uh, check. Uh, it's going to be a pretty high DC, just so you know, though. Is it higher than a fourteen? <laughs> yes, unfortunately. All right, so you spend some time trying to, like, not necessarily dislocate your shoulder, but, you know, that kind of movement to try to move in a way that your uh, hands can break free of the shackles, but you're unable to do so. I can't, like, firebolt my own shackles. Uh, no, you can't, because that would be straight, shooting forward. Um, the doppelganger changes again and shifts into blonde, blue-eyed, very buff-looking sailor. Is it Samson? No. It is the boat captain. <gasps> the guy that drunky had. Yes. Okay. Uh, wow. And he says, why, why, do, why are you trying to leave? I'm not falling for this. Good to see you again, um, but I'm out. Can I transform myself into this guy's mom? <laughs> no, because you don't have a mental connection to him. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you can tell he's trying to. Um, well, how does he know? He's using his brain. Okay. Uh, nope. Not going to fall for it. Not going to mm. fall for it. Well, Can I kick him? Time. Can I kick him? Sure. 
I'm just angry, so I'm gonna kick him. Okay. Give him a little roundhouse right in the ribs. All right, well, uh, you spent your action uh, trying to do that, and then he's uh, up to attack you next, so we'll, we'll see how that works out. Yeah, whatever. Now I'm, now I'm pissed. Bringing back you were happy captain. before, but now you're pissed. Yeah, now, now you've really got me angry. Well, we'll see what happens next time. Okie dokie, thank you. Thank you.